0: Gabba Gabba Records and Vintage Goods, located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolinas underground music scene. With your host, Mike Phillips of Van Huskins.
1: ever since I had my my stroke, I walk a lot. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I quit smoking and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I used to walk at least three miles almost every day. Mm -hmm. Now, because I'm in two bands, the time doesn't allow me to be able to do that every day. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I usually walk at least one mile a day. and um, And then on days when I don't have band practice, but between both bands, I, I practice um, at least four days a week. Yeah, so two um, bands that practice twice a week is what it boils down to.
0: I also brought this, and before I leave, I want to get you to, to sign it. I told Lucas, I'm not I'm not like this autographed person that takes and gets everything autographed. Because if I was, you'd have already signed like all this animal bag stuff. But anytime I record a podcast with somebody, I usually like if I find that my collection is lacking of something. I'll usually go, man, I need to go and get that. And so with Animal Bag, it was like, you know, I, I remember Animal Bag. I've heard those albums, but I never owned them like my brother owned them. I need to get those albums. And one thing I always try to do is I try to find the vinyl. Well, unfortunately, there was no vinyl for Animal Bag, which kind of sucks. Um, I, I keep I keep thinking, man, I, I want to get the like the tapes of that and put out a bootleg album of that. But, yeah. you know, that's a lot of money to invest in putting out something. I, I think it would sell. Um but you'd have to take
1: a risk of getting sued for putting out. <laughs> what I was thinking would be the coolest thing is, or is the, is the that last album to, you know, just even though it would be an album that was made off of a, a disc, mm-hmm. but like just do it and well, then have the artwork and everything because we have all the artwork that exists. Yeah, and all you could still stuff. take that though, and you could still get it mastered for
0: for vinyl, and it would end up sounding pretty right. good on vinyl. Uh, yeah, that would be a good idea, too, is to get that, like, out there somehow. And there's somebody out there that would probably do it. But, in, in, but it in, would cost a lot of money. Yeah, so but, in any case, I got to looking around for for the, the, the first album, and, and I found this demo copy. It's like a promo copy. Right.
1: When when they first, before the, it goes to layout stages, the yeah. record company makes those. They call, I think they call them acetates, and then they pass them around to all the different people in the industry, yeah. so that they know what they're getting ready to work. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And so I found that, and I was like, well, that's at least
0: something unique and different. So I got that, and then before I went and saw Luke last week, I was like, man, I ought to take that and get it signed. And I was like, and then I'm going to see Otis next week, so I can get him to sign it too, and it'll be something unique that I have. That's. You know, I'll, all I'll, I'll have be to. happy to.
1: And then the other thing is, I'll just remind me before we leave I probably, I got like bumper stickers and some of the 8 by 10s oh wow animal yeah. bag buttons yeah uh, unfortunately no more t-shirts and hats yeah yeah <laughs> but I do have like I was never also I never cared for the the record company animal bag t-shirts. Yeah. The ones they had with the album cover. I didn't never really care that much for those. I do I do have a couple of animal bag t-shirts that are just mine. And most yeah, of them are pre-record deal. Yeah, when you and, just got them yeah, made Yeah, yourself. that we made ourselves, yeah.
0: That was another thing I thought about doing. Because I was I, I'm looking into getting into spring, uh, screen printing down the road. I thought about doing a run of bootleg animal bag shirts, <laughs>
1: but like talking to you. and Is that a Tommy's Pub shirt? Yeah, yeah. Tommy's That's baby. funny because I, I was wearing my Tommy's Pub shirt yesterday, but it's the um, the one with the harp on yeah. it. Yeah, I, I got
0: one of those too. Um, we can get started
1: yeah, pretty yeah, much any time here. Okay, yeah. I like I
0: said, it's, it's all real casual, so take your time to think about things. My first question, I think I kind of gave you a heads up about it, but we'll uh, – I, I think – Anyway, I'll ask you, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. And if, if you need some help figuring out what kind of answer to go with it, I can give you some examples of yeah. what people have said in the past. But Anyway, uh, so today I'm talking to Otis Hughes, who plays, who's played in a lot of bands. We'll talk about all those bands sort of on on, the, on our journey here, but um, probably most famously play, played in a band called Animal Bag. And I've had Luke Edwards on here before, and so today I'm going to have Otis Hughes play yeah. bass for Animal Bag. Luke was the singer, and I was the uh, the bass player. Yeah. So we'll get around to talking about animal bagging a little bit, as well as everything you've done, you know, since then, um, and what you're currently doing these days as well. Uh, But I always kind of like to start my podcast off with uh, a question that sort of. uh, Last time I figured out that I sometimes ask this question a couple of different ways because somebody was like, "Oh, you asked that question two different ways." But I always like to know, like, what was it about music that grabbed you when you were a kid? Um, Sort of like maybe a first musical memory, or just the thing about music that stood out and said. This, this is going to be something, a
1: bigger part of my life. I mean, it could be like a favorite first band. It's or, funny. I feel like I've answered a similar question in other, at least in other interviews before. It's, it's a, it's a pretty good but, just starting um, question. No, I mean, I know what, like, of course, what is the first thing would be like what my mom listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the, you know, besides Frosty, the snowman, <laughs> but yeah, I was born in Puerto Rico, so we used to listen to this guy called Rafael. Okay, and he was basically like the Puerto Rican Elvis. Yeah, yeah. And he just went by Rafael. Like I don't. I guess he might have had a last name, but I was a kid. I didn't know it. Yeah. And she had a few albums of of him, but uh, a really impactful memory was after we moved to North Carolina when I was six. Okay, and. We were going to school. I was in the floorboard of the of her Nova. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her Back 63 then, Nova because that's the where the heat was coming yeah, off. Before seatbelt
2: laws and everything, and, I
1: remember doing stuff like that. And this <laughs> and this song came on the radio, and um, it was, I Want to Go Home. And it was the Beach Boys, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And my mom cut it off. And the, here's what we're really connected was it was cold. And the and this song was saying what I felt. Yeah. Anyhow, I didn't, not until in my teens did I ever come across that song again. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you remembered it immediately when you heard it. Right, right. It was, and it was basically, um, you know, when I got into the Beach Boys, you know, like just getting into classic albums and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, for me, that was like my, my dad's record collection it was pretty integral to my, my music too you know just like I think a lot of people that's the I get that answer quite a bit my my parents record collection or I remember the song that we used to listen to when I was a kid I like the
1: floorboard memory that's that's good because that brought back memories for me just being like oh yeah just well also you know you just speak about what my parents were into because my mom liked like Simon and Garfunkel Mm -hmm. and the fifth dimension yeah and like the Supremes I mean she had I mean there was some stuff that was um that was kind of cool, the mamas and the papas, you yeah. know. But she wasn't into, like, like the Beach Boys. And uh, I didn't ever get pet sounds until I was, like, a teenager. Yeah. And then, I, oh, there's that song, you know.
0: <laughs> so now, did your, did your mom turn the song off because she didn't like the Beach Boys? Or was no, it, it was I can't remember a... what it
1: was. She was tr- probably just concentrating on driving, you yeah, know, okay. and it was, like, getting on her nerves or something, yeah. you know. I don't know if she's like oh that's that uh, horrid satanic Brian yeah. Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as a kid did you, did you listen to a lot of music? I music? did. Well the next thing that was uh, aside from listening to the radio and started out as AM I remember going to visit grandparents in Florida mm-hmm. and then they had a different station. They lived in a Palm Beach, but we were picking up this Y one hundred from, from Miami, yeah, and and they played a lot of the same songs, like the radios that you know I listen up here. I listen mm-hmm. to Big Waves and WROQ. Oh yeah, yeah. Big Waves was the AM, and the WROQ was the FM. Yeah, and um, and they were playing. It's all that classic rock, but I remember that that station had a slightly different song list mm-hmm. that they played more they played like more um Jethro Tull there was a couple of bands that they played that I wasn't as familiar with yeah. that got more airplay down there than they did up there yeah. but I remember first hearing American Top 40 mm-hmm. and Casey Kasem is probably the seeds of my becoming a music nerd because he would tell you yeah. little things about the bands you know you mm-hmm. know And it turns out, I guess I was interested in that whatever when I'm eight years old. And he's explaining to you little stories about them. Yeah, yeah. I I used to listen Um, to that
0: all the time too. And I remember like looking forward to Saturdays just to listen to to the top forty. And that's like as a kid, that was my that was my entertainment.
1: (laughs) And I was into the you know, I guess as a kid, also I was interested in the contest aspect of it. Like who's going to be number one and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) You know, but really, I think it was the little trivia that he was saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know. yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part of it, too. But he always, always,
0: always you know, is my favorite song going to be number one this week? And back then, like the top 40, well, we, we're 10 years apart. We've already discussed that. So when I was growing up, at least the top 40 would include like some bands that were rock bands, like, of course, like Prince and things like that. But, you know, you might get Twisted Sister in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I imagine the 70s, it was kind of the same. They, they were probably like, you know, I, I'm not Sure, the, which bands are mentioned? But maybe Led Zeppelin, or you know that maybe that maybe I'm going a little bit too too early. But um, you know, there, well, there's I mean, all, I'm just always, saying in
1: the in the '60s, like you could have like Burl Ives or somebody could actually yeah. have a top 40 <laughs> yeah. hit that would be mixed in with like whatever the Stones. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it was always kind of it's always kind of been the same. I don't know how much is I don't pay attention to the top 40 anymore. I'm sure there are still some quote unquote rock bands in the top 40 but then you're probably looking at more like Imagine Dragons and uh, I don't know if uh, Greta Van Fleet would even make it to the top 40. They might not be one of those yeah, Greta Yeah, I don't
1: know, actually. <laughs> uh, and it's weird because I feel like I've stayed very, very current with music, but I feel like in the last five years or so, not quite as much. Yeah, so was, now I'm finally, well. after all these years, I'm turning into an old, one of those old <laughs> people that's like, they don't play it like they used to, you know, yeah. that kind of.
0: I, I'm getting paid the same way, too. But thing is, I, I kind of realize that that's the way it's meant to be, you know. It's meant to be that I kind of age out of that stuff, and I'm still, like, just stuck liking the old stuff I like. Now, I do like a lot of newer stuff, too, but it's not the stuff they play on the radio. Yeah.
1: So well, I, I feel so like I, I made I it way, it. way beyond most of the people that I, like, went to school with and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my theory is sort of, and this is give or take a few years, but. Whatever you dig between the ages of fifteen and twenty-five, mm-hmm. that's pretty much your music for life. You know,
2: yeah, uh, you might go, bands, you
1: might go a few years both ways, or yeah. or, or when you're older, you might like. New albums by bands that you liked when you were Mm -hmm. between fifteen and twenty-five, or you're going to like bands that are similar to those bands. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is a lot of the newer bands that I listen to sound like older bands that I love. (laughs) Yeah, they they fall into this category or something. When I first moved to the United States, I came here from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and I didn't speak English real well at first, so I think that getting into music was a very... Oh, yeah. Uh, it was just... Uh, it, very helpful. That, that's another language, you yeah. know, basically, but you, like, it's easy to latch onto, I guess, when I understood it, you know, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, how how long was it before you actually picked up an instrument? Were there was there anybody uh, in your family that was
1: that I played an instrument? I started playing when uh, I was fifteen, and it was because nobody in my family played any instruments. Yeah. When I was fifteen, I lived in Miami. Mm-hmm. My mom, um, I flunked the ninth grade, and so she as my punishment. I had to go live with my father in Florida. Okay that's what it boils down to and but they offered guitar in junior high in florida oh wow and so that was when i first started and Man, um, i wish they had done that so i there. learned all the <laughs> like um, i never had a, a what's weird i never had a like a problem with it mm-hmm. i understood it pretty much right away and i just learned all those songs like she'll be coming Round the mountain yeah good night ladies and all that kind of stuff but in, in later on in the in the class, it was going to get to chords and stuff. Mm-hmm. But all I was learning was the picking the notes. Yeah, okay. And then I had I had had a friend in North Carolina that was going to be the bass player of the band. Mm-hmm. That we we had decided you know we're going to be, be a band and okay. I'm going to play this yeah. and you're going to play that right. Well, I was going to be the lead guitar player, but. When I moved back to North Carolina, mm-hmm. he was already playing guitar and he was better than me. So I said, oh, well, and he was going to be the bass player. So I was like, I'll just be the bass player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was already what I was playing on the guitar anyway, was the bass line. So Yeah. That, that's sort of what happened
0: with me as well. My, my, my story is not very similar, but the, the switching from guitar to bass is very similar because me and a friend decided we were going to start a band and I could... You know, I could maybe play like a little bit of like basically like bass notes, bass notes on the on the guitar, and uh, then I just made a bunch of noise with it. But when we decided to make it a real band, we had a buddy that could play guitar, good. so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to play bass now. And just and so I, I fell into that, and it really worked better for me and helped me become a better guitar player along the way, but not much of a better think, guitar player. But, well, I mean, I didn't
1: I didn't have a that bunch of a. I don't know. I didn't have that much of I'm glad that I played bass first because I probably didn't have the discipline to have have been, played guitar. Yeah, yeah. That was me. It was a discipline problem. I, I mean, I, there's I, a lot of bass players from that time that were really just really bad guitar players. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, it was me, like I
0: said, the discipline problem for me, but also I just didn't think I took it seriously enough. Like, I've said this so many times on the podcast, I thought I was going to pick it up and be able to play like Eddie Van Halen or Jimi Hendrix and, I didn't get lessons. We just we really couldn't afford them, and I just never really like committed myself to figuring how figuring out how to do it on my own. I'd buy guitar magazines and I'd look at the tab and I'd figure out that's how I figure out little things. And I could play like a little run of a song, and then that would be it. And then I would make a bunch of noise. But there was punk rock that told me that hey, making noise is a part of it. Like you got to you. That's how you play. <laughs>
1: I never had um, had lessons. I always learned from. Mostly from the guitar players that I played with. And that's how that's an I took that there. guitar, you know, Guitar One or whatever in Florida, but it was really, it was just, a, what do they call it? The tablature where it tells you the number, what number fret mm-hmm. to push. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I learned, I, I pretty much learned like that. But. I,
0: I wish I could read music. And I was in band and in middle school for a year and a half playing trombone, but I don't remember anything about it. And that would have been like the same same for bass as you know the trombone. If I could read music for trombone, I could apply it to bass if I
1: remembered it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I feel like well, I guess they call it music theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like with all of the secondhand lessons that I got from people that knew stuff, that I, I know, it's, I know something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and plus, I'm, at this point. I'll be 60 in July. I mean, I feel like I, I've been playing for 40, 45 yeah, years. Yeah. So you got to well, learn something in 45 years. Well, I like, there's I like, people, I'm sure there's people that would be a thousand times better, you know, because you've got some kid on YouTube that can be eight years old and play Van Halen or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, but. I feel like I picked up something along the way. So.
0: I feel like people that learn the way me and you did, like basically just learning by playing instead of learning from lessons and learning all that theory, develop more of a unique personal style anyway. And, and just as long as you can play with other
1: people, that's really all you need to be able to do. And uh, the other thing is most friends learned by by learning covers. Mm-hmm. And I probably had learned a, f- a few Covers, but most of the time, when 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 I very first started playing, I would I would hit on something, and I would like, well, this isn't that. This I would rather work on this, mm-hmm. and so it would be like, I'm going to work on my song, yeah. <laughs> and and I almost like right out of the gate, pretty much started to write songs. Yeah, yeah. And I still have in in this in my garage in there. I still have notebooks from when I was like 16 years old, and the songs that I wrote in those days. Mm-hmm. It's pretty it's pretty funny. I've held on to a lot of that stuff, too. And, yeah,
0: we just sort of the same thing. I, I probably picked up, learned some things from playing covers and learning covers. But was, I was always just like, let's write our own song. Once we figured yeah. out how we could write a song, and we figured it out by playing a song that was just two chords the whole time. And you'd, we'd, like, slow it down for the course. <laughs> and then we'd go back. But then after that, it was like, oh, we can add a third chord to this and a fourth chord. And, and so it was just, you know, figuring it out how to do it. But along the
1: way, we played a few covers to kind of help us figure out oh, this is what we need to do to write a song. Yeah, I mean, I used to write songs. I had, I remember, in some, one of my notebooks. I'd have like, like the very first notebook, and, and I even had a way that I wrote down the songs that mm-hmm. I wrote with the number, what number the fret was, yeah, and all yeah. that. <laughs> but I had a lot song. The very first first song that started out with just one string. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't have that much trouble differentiating between other, str- you know, for some reason, that, that, that part of it wasn't weird, that weird to me. Yeah. Expanding to the, f- all four strings. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so now when, when, when you. I uh, could,
1: I could handle that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, when you moved up to North Carolina and you were going to start that band, you switched to bass.
1: Did y'all really start a band or did you get together and start playing? No, we did. We started a band. What was, it was the name four of, of us. What, uh, the Well, we had. a more than one name, but the, the one that I remember was, we called ourselves Mandrake. Okay. And, and it was because I got the, well, I got the idea because Deep Purple had this song called Mandrake Root, mm-hmm. and it's like a, like, this is like 60s Deep Purple, but I just thought it was a cool sounding word, you know? Yeah, yeah. i trying to remember some of the other names that we had, because we we had a, a lot of different names. And about what well, we needs. never played anywhere. We played in the backyard you know, one time, and some neighbors came yeah, over. Yeah. And uh, I remember um, with this older guy named Jack, and I was playing with a pick, and he was like, these players don't use the pick; they use their fingers." You know. Mm-hmm. So I just flicked the, the pick away right then and started playing with my fingers, and it didn't wasn't much different than how I already. I, yeah, yeah, I sucked so bad that it was it didn't make that much of a difference. You know? Yeah. But now,
0: what, how old were you at that time? Like sixteen. Sixteen. Probably. Okay. Yeah. And what what kind of music were you playing? Like we we were writing our our pretty shitty
1: originals. <laughs> 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 so it's like, supposed to be like rock music, probably. Or, yeah. 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 Just. I remember I had a song. It was kind of like smoke on the water. But instead of going dah, 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 it was like you know, it was like the same rhythmic pattern and everything, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, I can do that, but I can change all these notes. <laughs> I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how it started out.
0: So you say you never really played any real shows with that band. Did you record any music with that band at all? Other than I mean um uh, probably set up a... a Player in the corner and hit record a couple. I, times. Do,
1: I think I might have a, a cassette with some of that stuff on it. Yes, yeah. I'm trying to remember, I'm remembering too, like some some of the songs that some of the other guys in the band wrote. Mm. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember, oh, it was called Yester Years, and it and it, and I remember because the chorus I didn't write this one, but he his chorus was a lot of years a lot of fears i've got nothing for the future years (laughs) (laughs) now
0: what was the next thing that you did after that like did you start another band
1: yeah what happened in that band was me and the drummer were supposed to have practice where it was just him and i Mm -hmm. as the rhythm section but everybody would show up and it would you know we would We wouldn't get to do what we were doing. This was back to, we were young, little, like, stoners or whatever, but would (laughs) devolve. And uh, we practiced at my house. I ended up quitting that band, Mm -hmm. and and they knew that I was going to go jam with these other dudes down the street, but I tried not to, Mm -hmm. but I probably could only hold out for, like, six months, and then I ended up joining them. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then that, as soon as I joined, we started writing originals. Okay. And I was in that band for, for a long time, like five or seven years or something. What band was and that? We, were called, we called ourselves Overlord. Okay. And we went through like... A, is that a metal band or, or just a hard we, rock band? We were kind of a, a like a, a Sabbath meets Aerosmith or yeah, something okay. like that. If you can imagine that, it was kind of not quite as distorted as Tony Iommi. It wasn't that and um, slightly more bluesy or guitar, you know, but it was still pretty much Sabbath and kind of rush in a weird way because our rhythms, we did some pretty abstract stuff. And I still have, I think I still have some of that stuff on cassette. But... That, that actually, by the end of that, we, we were a pretty good band. Yeah. And we went through three different lead singers. The first guy, his name was Mike San Pietro, and he was sort of, you know, going up for a, a Jim Morrison ish mm-hmm. kind of thing. But we wanted somebody higher. So we ended up getting this other guy named Tim Gates, and we called him Tex. He was from Texas, I think. Yeah. Anyway, he was a, he was a little bit sort of like a, a Stephen Tyler meets David Lee Roth kind of guy. Okay. <laughs> not not quite that level. Yeah, right yeah, of no, yeah not of course, not that out out there. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, none of us were that level. You know. <laughs> yeah. Then the next the next guy, his name was a um, David Vincent Stubnick. Okay. He ended up becoming the singer for Morbid Angel. And I was going to say is it the same David Vincent. Yeah, yeah, it's him. I've told this story before too, but it was one of the guitar players kicked out the first singer, and then the other guitar player kicked out the second singer. So whenever we parted ways with David, mm-hmm. I, I was it was I had to kick him. out. Oh. <laughs> but you know, I thought that I, I thought that I did it very gracefully, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he if he thinks that. <laughs> But I was like, "You need to do your own thing," yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which he did. And yeah. look at him; he showed us. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he was just more, um, more hardcore, mm-hmm. I guess, go, than we were. You know. Yeah. I remember his like in our originals that we had when he was in the band, and like on Earth as it is in Hell, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> and we were still kind of Black Sabbath, Aerosmith. Maybe a little bit of rush or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he basically almost—you could say that they—they they were definitely the some of the forebears of a whole genre. Oh yeah, know? yeah. So
0: yeah, it was—it was probably the right thing for him was to move on to some do like you said to do something. Yeah, he needs to do his own thing.
1: Yeah, and and uh, I think that they did a great job. You know. Oh yeah. Now he's I am morbid. You know, like mor- the morbid angel. Those guys are. Uh, split up, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what was there, the next uh topic
0: uh so I, you after that after you, saying, you said you you kicked out David Vincent but did you have cuz you said you had three singers
1: yeah it was that the kind of the end of that band was, well we had we did have another singer this guy named Vince and then he, his name was Vince Summers and then he uh, he had a band called um Wild Men from Borneo. Okay. There were a cover band in, around Charlotte, and yeah. I guess mostly in the eighties, maybe in the nineties. He he had that band for a long time, but the reason it ended with him was um he was a real bad alcoholic, and it, mm. and he like ended up stabbing somebody at a party. Oh, yeah. That'll, that'll and, do uh, it. <laughs> and uh and he had to go to jail for a little while. But then when he got out of jail, I think he he like quit drinking, and and then he you know. He went, he had that band for a long time. So. Yeah. At the end, trying to think of at the end of Overlord, one of the guitarists went and quit and joined this band called Tokyo Rose, mm-hmm. and um, they were playing in in a more Van Halen sort of direction. Yeah. And yeah. just I guess what it eventually just became eighties rock mm-hmm. type stuff. And what happened was our band, uh, the other guitarist. Steve Fenton, he ended up quitting to go join that band too. Oh, okay. And then the drummer Scotty went and joined Black Glass, which is still playing around now. Okay. First version of Black Glass started in the 80s and he was the drummer. Yeah. Know? Is he still playing with them now? No, okay. he quit about two or three years ago. Okay. So they, yeah. But they're still, that band is still going and they play like almost every weekend and they do this kind of North Carolina, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. I mean, they might do um, Virginia and, and uh, Georgia too. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you do after that? So, after Overlord, they had all joined, quit to join more commercially mainstream bands. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I didn't play in a band for a little while, but my idea was that I would. Um, I'm trying to remember what came first because I, I was also in a band. With some of these dudes from reliable. Mm-hmm. Briefly we had 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 a band with Robin Brown singing. Okay. And we were try, trying to be a little bit more commercial and, and I remember we learned about we had we did learned like 30 covers. Okay. And, um, and we had like five originals. Yeah, that was, and Scotty was a drummer. He, and then he quit that band to join Black Glass. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, yeah, when okay. that happened. Um, and so it was right before we were ready to play out and then, and, and then the band kind of, um, broke up. Yeah. Me and the, the guitar player Todd went and started in a band with these guys that were from, from Reliable. Um, Mark Krattz and Sonny they eventually ended up having a band called Paragon that mm-hmm. yeah. played around Charlotte in I the 90s yeah but we we went to to join that band and um, this was the, the most to me in my mind it was the most that I ever sold out or whatever mm-hmm. I mean we were we were playing like Night Ranger and all, and this is covers and stuff yeah, yeah. I remember it seemed like we worked on some originals but they it just not, nothing ever really got off the ground and then those guys would miss a lot of practices so Todd Wilson the guitar player that was that came with me from Overlord ended up leaving with the keyboard player and I was invited but I didn't want to go they wanted to go join this, start this other band mm-hmm. and play this more slightly more progressive thing yeah they were more like into um Kansas and, and Merillion yeah anyway I didn't I wasn't in a, I I didn't go and I wasn't in a band for a while and then that's what I hooked up with uh, for about a year I didn't play in a band and then I ended up hooking up with uh, Boo and Rich. Okay. So, and that's the, I guess, the genesis of Animal bag, you know? Mm-hmm. That would have been like 1985. Okay. <laughs>
0: Did, did you, because I know that when you put out the, those records, the sound was a little bit more, I don't know how to describe it, but it seemed like it had just as much Jane's Addiction in it as it did like uh, some metal. You know? Right. Yeah. We, what, what did you guys start off at? Was did, were you, When we you start started out, we were, we, we were started?
1: definitely like an 80s metal. Yeah, I mean, I, we, that's kind of what I thought. Um Our first stuff was, was kind of, um we were a little bit jokey. You know, I don't know how to explain it, but I didn't take a lot of '80s metal like real serious. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, of course, like Iron Maiden or Priest or something was was more serious. But there's oh, yeah. a lot of stuff that I don't I don't know. But I, we were having fun with it, and I, and I really liked the band Kicks a yeah, lot. So that made me like a want to um have fun, and and I think that the very early Animal Bag was basically it was like Judas Hale and. <laughs> yeah, you know, with some almost like uh, at least a, a Alice Cooper and kicks humor, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit, you know. Uh, and now, when I say Alice Cooper, I don't mean like the theatrics part. I just mean the, yeah, the, the wittiness of his lyrics yeah. and stuff, you know. and uh, and so what so we were we were that's kind of I guess what started out as our trip. We were a fu- we were definitely a party and a, a fun party band, you know? It was and, we, the, and it was interesting, too, is that, that it was so easy to come up with stuff. Yeah. Like, almost, let's just try this. Oh, yeah, then we'll go here, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, nobody, like, really argued about it. Everybody was just on board. You those,
0: know? those are the fun, best bands to be. Yeah. Here, it, the most but poppers? it's
1: also, I think it has to do with a certain age or, or anything's possible. Mm-hmm. This kind of, Thing where we, you know, and we would just we would just do it, you know, yeah. and then we were naturally a combination of everybody that was there, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, who was singing for you at the time? Uh, Bruce, his name was Bruce Hatchwell. Okay, and he had sang uh, for bands before, and the most notable he was had been the singer for New York, which they were from Rock Hill. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they were big. Yeah. And they did a circuit from Florida to like Michigan. Yeah, And, um, and he was their singer for, I don't know, maybe a year or something, but he partied a little bit too hard on the road. And he had one of those high voices, you know, could sing like, Mm -hmm. you know, hit some like Rob Halford kind of notes and stuff. And, um, but when he couldn't, he partied too hard on the road and couldn't handle it, they ended up um, getting rid of him. Mm-hmm. And so when me and Boo were both, Boo was our drummer, we are talking about who to get for a singer, and I had him in mind, and Boo's girlfriend cut hair with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so she, they, we had the same guy in mind, but we didn't know. Yeah. and. Anyway, it ended up working out. I mean, he was our singer, you know. And I mean, me and him are great friends still to this day. Okay. I mean, I probably talked to him last month, but you know, I remember like he he had toured from you know Michigan to Florida or mm-hmm. whatever, and we were just this little local band. Yeah. And, and also, they you know New York was primarily a cover band. They had a couple. They might have had a couple of originals, but. So I think in Bruce's eyes, at first, he was doing us a favor, you know, to be in our band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I thought we got a lot done. And we, we were together in that with that lineup for about three years, yeah. you know. And also, me and Boo and our sound man, named, this guy named Gaston, all took that course at CPCC. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Saviano's brother, John Saviano, taught it. Yeah, but you would get um, three hours of free studio time for your project mm-hmm. for that class. So with all three of us doing it, we would get like nine hours of yeah. studio time. <laughs> and we did that a couple of times. We would pull all the studio time together. So we ended up in the back in those days. Animal Bag, we probably recorded about songs, mm-hmm. twenty something songs, at least twenty songs at CP, and it was all just like this. 80s metal, Spinal Tap. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty not great, super great recordings or anything, but like just the personality of the band really mm-hmm. came out in these recordings. Yeah. You know? Did you
0: release that music on cassette or anything? Like,
1: demos, um, no, I mean, I have like some of it on CD, and the guy Stick Elliot does. Yeah, he's probably got some of it up online. Yeah, he's the he's the one who put it up online, and there's still about ten songs missing there. I would love to hear some of those. Also, the cassettes that got dubbed off of yeah. onto made digital from were so worn out that they're kind of slightly fast. Yeah. <laughs> so the stuff that's even the stuff that's up online that's digital that it sounds like a little bit like a sped up tape, you know. It's. Fun. I mean, I I I get a kick out of it, and I remember all those days, and and it, we had fun, and and. Most of it was pretty tongue in cheek and stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. You know really I think like what it. happened is when when Bruce started going back to school mm-hmm. and was just trying to get his shit together instead of being this, you know, rock guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's you know was he was still in his twenties, but like you know I'm to got to make something of my life. Yeah, and so. <laughs> like we weren't, like, you know, we're we're just going to stay losers or something.
0: <laughs> but the, the,
1: well, I mean, everybody, I thought, everybody but,
0: kind of decides what they need to do with their lives, and sometimes it doesn't involve continuing to do music
1: or whatever. Right. Well, in my, in, you know, like it just in my case, it was like I think that the die was cast. You know, I'm going to be a, a guy. I'll work some day job mm-hmm. so that I can buy guitar strings. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Still doing that to this <laughs> day. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Then, then um, that's when basically when Luke came in. Yeah. To now, the before
0: we came on, did you were y'all playing a lot of shows around Charlotte, or did you travel? We maybe? did
1: play. We did play a lot of shows in, play, around like, Charlotte. We played Kidnappers or, a lot, yeah. we, and we played um, the Mud Hole or J- this place that changed names a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. J. Michaels and Eventually became the pterodactyl. Yeah, okay. And and so that. But anyway, we played a lot of shows in that building. Mm -hmm. And kidnappers, which was on Old Pineville Road. Okay, I feel like we played some other places too. Like we play, even played in Shelby, I think. Anyhow, that was after after Luke joined. When when Luke joined, which was uh, sometime in '88. Mm -hmm. It's funny because he wasn't in the band that long before we moved to yeah to he, LA he, he, was he, I, he wasn't in the band a year because we left and like left on Good Friday I think he told me that when he joined the band you guys were already talking about moving to LA yeah and when we when he joined the band too he had only been in the band like a week or something and I'm like you think we can be ready to open for Crocus in three yeah. weeks <laughs> <laughs> because we opened at um for them at, at um whatever it was called, Park Elevator. Yeah. At the top of South Boulevard. It, and we had already, been in the old lineup, we had been playing at Kidnappers, and we would, and we had gotten to a point where this was, when we were playing that Spinal Tap, mm-hmm. Judas Halen stuff, and we were <laughs> opening. The, we were got o- open for, like, Kicks, Wendy O. Williams. Mm-hmm. We opened for Paul Diano's Battle Zone. Oh, wow. We yeah. opened for... Uh, feel like, well, I mean, we got, we got a lot of good gigs. We opened for that band, Tokyo Rose, which was the guys that had been in my band before. And also we played some shows with Sleaze Patrol, Mm -hmm. which was uh, our friend, we called him White Possum, but John Hill. And he ended up moving to LA before we did. And long story there, but. but. When you moved out there, was it helpful that he'd already been out there? Was he still out there when you moved out? I mean, I think it was, I already, my friends too that were in Tokyo Rose that used to be in my band had moved out there a year yeah. or so before us. I thought it was kind of good to go out there and already know some people.
0: Yeah, to already know some people and also maybe already know like things that you need to do because they've already been through it all.
1: <laughs> kind of, yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, some of these people we ended up like sharing practice space with yeah. them and stuff like that, so... I mean, yeah, it no, was definitely expenses
0: while you're out there too. <laughs> it would have definitely been a fun time to have lived out there. Um, talking to Luke, though, it, it was pretty expensive to live out
2: there.
1: Yeah, kind of the apartments. I mean, the rent was definitely about twice the price of what it was in Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like in Charlotte was probably even more than Shelby. You know, mm-hmm. so. Oh, yeah. But I'm just saying, back then, like an apartment was like. 300 bucks a month or something mm-hmm. and out there we're talking 750 or 800 dollars yeah, yeah. a month and so yeah, I guess it did help you know to have I remember the very first place that we moved in it was the very first apartment I was in was four of us the first apartment that Luke was in there was five of them mm-hmm. they had a three bedroom with five people yeah and uh, we had a, a two bedroom with four people hmm that's how you had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, I know that it's a cliche, but the, a, a couple of the of girlfriends that some of us had ended up being strippers, yeah. and which is a cliche, but they make a, they made a lot of money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like easy money, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you get more money, and 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 that was helpful. I didn't, actually didn't never dated a stripper, but. I did live with some strippers Yeah, <laughs> at some point, <laughs> which I know it's a cliche, but <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, um, I know I've had Luke on and he's talked about all this, but about how long was it after you moved out there before you started getting some attention?
1: Well, we actually had a, a we're talking to a guy our second gig mm-hmm. at the FM station in the Valley. There was a guy there named Rob Cavallo, mm-hmm. and he and he's the guy he he ended up signing like Green Day. Okay, and yeah. his dad was like real big up in Warner yeah, yeah, Brothers, yeah. but we never spoke with him that night. What happened is the guy from the club called us and told us that that this guy was interested. Was it all right if he gave him our number? Mm-hmm. And so we did, and then. Anyway, we ended up talking to him and and scheduled this meeting. And and this is a a more of a memory to me than the. I I remember going to Warner Brothers and meeting him and all that. Mm -hmm. But I I like is when we first found out that we were doing that, Mm -hmm. and we had we like had like a you know a party at the apartment that I lived in, and the the whole band was there, and we're all like. Man, <laughs> I lo- I love you being. You know, we like thought we we're going. We're going to go. You know, we're going to get, get signed now, yeah, yeah. tomorrow. You know, or whatever. <laughs> it's just so funny, you know. But it, but really, what the meeting ended up being, um, more of a. We'll keep an eye on you. Yeah, yeah. And and they did though, mm-hmm. and and then they eventually paid for us to do a showcase for the entire staff of Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. They catered it, all this stuff. It was a big deal. And then they passed on. Yeah, us. yeah, I remember Luke telling me about that. They did offer us like a a sort of uh, like a demo deal kind mm-hmm. of thing, but the I, the way that that worked was that they would put us in the studio, but we couldn't shop that demo to other labels at least for a certain time period. Mm-hmm. And we had a, uh, our our management at that time said that that wasn't a good idea because we had too many people that were interested in us. Yeah, because
0: you need be locked into one label that might yeah.
1: might not ever do anything with right. it. Right. When then, you could be looking around for
0: people now that
1: want to do something yeah, with what you're doing. It was basically that. And we were advised against it, so we, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't take it the, the, the development deal I guess yeah, yeah, is what it's called
0: so at this time I guess your, your sound had probably changed a little bit because you guys it had and, a lot and more
1: and here's the thing was when we moved out there we were, all, were already getting into a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. and, and primarily it was probably Jane's Addiction and Guns N' Roses yeah. the, 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 both of them had albums that came out in 1987 Yeah, yeah. I think that because most of us in animal bag really had roots in zeppelin and and Mm -hmm. just more um we had a lot more 70s in us than 80s oh yeah and you know it might be a little bit different luke's uh, like seven years younger than me so he 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 was probably a little bit more see but did i say bruce or did i say luke you said luke first okay Okay. Yeah. yeah luke liked a lot of stuff That you wouldn't have thought that a guy his age would like and and he had more punk in him than us No, he loved like Jethro Tull plus he was into all the classic rock stuff too you know but I feel like what we ended up doing was being more true to how we were but we were also getting into new stuff like Jane's Addiction Mm -hmm. Guns N' Roses Uh which was less glam than the other the other stuff Van Halen or whatever yeah
3: Sing, sing a prayer.
0: came out in this area you guys were really influential for a lot of people like my brother and some of his friends really got into music and the first thing was it was like animal bag that's what they wanted to do and they even played an animal bag cover at a show that we did an Armory in Kings Mountain and um, I think they did hey Cosmo um, but you know it was just like around this area you guys were, were huge and, and it was it was because at this at that time what was coming out was you know the grunge was already coming out so the metal was sort of fading away and the grunge was coming out and and bands like Jane's Addiction were starting to take hold, and so for a lot of people in this area, it, it was a part of getting into a band. Like me and my me and my friends were already in a band, but for my brother's age, I think it was because there was this band from Shelby that was on MTV. It, yeah. it made a bunch of people want to play music. It was like sort of like when Green Day came out a few years later. Yeah, much like more more possible. Or something. But it, it was like right here because it was like. You know, these guys are from Shelby and Charlotte. We got to, you know... It was that that whole connection. But... Yeah, like it's not impossible. I still feel like if you guys had come out like a couple years later, you guys would have really found your footing. And... not Wait, I won't say it that way because I don't think it's your guys' fault. I I think the rest of the the music listening uh, world would
1: have paid a little bit more attention. Yeah. I I mean, I, I have... Thoughts on that too. I mean, you could some people you could say that the you know the record company wasn't sure how to how to promote us mm-hmm. or whatever. But also, I think in the, the old fashioned way is if we had just if they could have just kept us on the road. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that that being on the road was hard. Yeah, and especially I I wasn't driving and neither was Boo, but between our road crew and, and Luke and Rich mm-hmm. were driving. It was hard. I mean, it beat, you know. Beats. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying, though, is it, the one thing that in the almost year that we were out, mm-hmm. we, were, we toured for like 11 months. Mm-hmm. And we had like, I think somewhere in there, we had like a month off or something. But pretty much, we were out there. We went around the United mm-hmm. States like three times. Yeah, and you could totally t- just for an example, which I've used this in some interview before because I'm flashing back now. But <laughs> what we like, I'm just saying, like Houston or whatever. The first time that we played there, there there was like maybe thirty or forty people at the show. Mm-hmm. Second time we played there there was like hundred and twenty people at yeah, the show. Yeah. The next time that we played there there was like three hundred people at yeah, the show. Yeah. You know, and and it was like so imagine a band that ju- that just kept playing mm-hmm. and you know, you, you just in just one area, you know, within a year's time that with it, the it increased by that much. I mean, don't you think that if another album later and another year or two later mm-hmm. like we would have easily been drawing like probably 500 people in certain areas like pretty consistently yeah. or something oh, Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean I feel that's the old-fashioned way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You, know? you go out there and win and, and not saying it like we were pretty good live oh yeah yeah like I mean I think that live even was better than than the albums, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the energy of it was almost like a, like a Chili Peppers energy. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it was. That's what I've heard about the shows. Yeah, and, and you also while you were saying how that when the the music started changing, there was a little between the '80s and the '90s grunge and stuff. There was also that whole era of of like Primus and the Chili mm-hmm. Peppers and all that stuff because that's when. So, and, I, and I guess we had we had that in us. We weren't we weren't trying to be funk or anything. But
0: I've also thought about how like if Andrew Wood hadn't passed away, like Mother Love Bone was poised to be a pretty big band. And I know you guys ended up on that label, the Star Dog label. But if that hadn't happened, I think that style of music would have gotten a lot bigger
1: than it did. Yeah, you know. And I love um, it's funny because the the new band that I'm in now, I feel like that's sort of the. Area that we're mining mm-hmm. is almost a, a mother love bonish, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, we'll talk about that later, I guess, yeah, yeah. But I'll say it now that <laughs> we don't have a name yet. But me, it's me and this uh black girl named Lori, mm-hmm. um, we call her Lolo, and it's half my songs and half her songs, mm-hmm. and uh, she sings her songs and I sing my songs, okay. But... The whole band is like putting juju on everybody's songs. And mm-hmm. does she play an instrument as well? Yeah, she plays guitar okay. and keyboards and yeah. sings. Te- I mean, she's technically she's a bet- what better musician than I am? Yeah, my yeah. M- and can sing better than me and blah blah blah. You know,
0: so I'm, looking, I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing that. As soon as you have a name for it, yeah, <laughs> and start playing some shows or yeah. record some we'll music. Probably play Tommy's. It'll probably be our first place yeah. we play. Yeah. In a band. yeah. So with uh, Luke, I talked a lot about, you know, kind of what happened with Animal Bag, and but we didn't, you know, there's a lot of stories that we missed in there. And, and me and you have already talked about it earlier today, but I plan to have you and Luke together sometime to kind of cover, fill in a lot of fun stories, whatever you guys come up with. Uh, but I guess one way to kind of transition on to what we're doing next, just kind of give me your, your side of how, like, that all ended and moving back here. I, I, you moved back here before the whole record label thing sort of fell apart, didn't you? Like almost as soon as you got yeah. out there, you and start recording, like back North
1: Carolina the first <laughs> two albums. I guess you know the animal, animal bag, and then offering, and then um, we moved back because the cost of living was cheaper. Is cheaper here. For yeah. One, I feel, I feel that uh, the, really what happened is with us losing the record deal. It's just that the record company. Restructured, mm-hmm. which is just like how all corporations do, yeah, yeah. blah blah blah, and and just really there, we didn't had not sold enough albums f- for them, and there was not anybody really in our corner. Yeah, still there to fight for you. It was yeah, like, I mean, you guys. I mean, were it, was, like, it was it was it, to me. It was just like somebody sits in an office and then they look and well, how many did this you know the this serial sell yeah yeah you oh know, yeah we we should we better discontinue that one yeah you know? yeah the, yeah this one over here is doing a little bit better, you know do you, but do you when think, we when we got dropped there there was about nine other bands that got dropped, uh-huh. you know, we weren't like the only yeah, one yeah, or yeah. anything
0: it was just a restructuring or like you said the the label uh changing of the guards, yeah, do you think that moving to North Carolina did that have anything to do like
1: they were like, well, these guys don't live here anymore. To I, get a little too deep I mean, I, I don't know I, what those guys talk about when they're sitting <laughs> in their luxurious air-conditioned office suites, you know.
0: <laughs> and they also might be eating
1: like, their power lunches or or whatever, you know.
0: Because that that third album got recorded but never really released, and so maybe it was just like, well, these guys don't want to do what we want them to do, and they didn't yeah, tell them. And, records, and, so. that,
1: and that's true because we turned in the third album, and, and then they were like, "Well, can you?" You know, they were trying to figure out ways of of. You know, can you go add a couple songs to it that we might be able to release as singles? Yeah. And, you know, the label was a singles-driven label, Mm -hmm. but they were also a little bit antiquated. Their biggest bands were like Kiss, Def Leppard, you know, Ugly Kid Joe. They wanted us to to be. And we were, I I don't know what opinion, We we were leaning more towards... Like something like Metallica, you know, <laughs> meets Radiohead or something. I mean, we were getting a little bit more, um,
0: yeah, third album, almost, were, almost artsy or yeah. something, you know. It's it's definitely heavier too, like that third, that yeah. third one. Yeah, well, the
1: heavy thing had to do a lot to do. Not that we weren't heavy and, and we did listen to heavy shit, but it was Terry Date was the one who chose what's we played him about like 20 or. Twenty-five songs or something, Mm -hmm. and he picked those as the ones to work on. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we covered a kind of a gamut. Mm -hmm. We had some stuff that wasn't as as heavy as that. Yeah, yeah. But that was what he chose to work on. We probably could have ended up doing something that was a little bit more like Mother Love Bone or something. Mm -hmm. I guess Uh, definitely more in that in a vein like that. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say about that though. You know that had to, a lot to do the record label. Yeah, I know. I was talking about the record label. What they were more skilled at marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and we weren't that. Yeah, Bon Jovi, we could sell those. Yeah, records. Bon Jovi was one of them too. <laughs> as a matter of yeah, fact, yeah, we could sell those they Bon Jovi under, records. They were but... under the Polygram umbrella too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, ex- uh, um, and the label had restructured. It had been Mercury, and then it became Polygram, mm-hmm. and. We didn't I guess we didn't fit into the what they knew how to market. Yeah. Yeah. And what they didn't realize is that that stuff was just had was falling out of favor. Anyway. Yeah. It had already fallen out of favor in my opinion. Yeah, like, it had, but it probably still <laughs> on name alone there were still people that would buy yeah, of Yeah, no, they could go they could sell more tickets than we could. Yeah. Anyway, that that's for sure. But I'm just saying they were the old guard and the guard had changed. And we didn't quite fit in with whatever the, the new thing was either. So we we weren't trying to um forecast what what, what the trend was or mm-hmm. anything. We were just you know play what you wanted to play. Yeah, and image damage, that album is only one aspect of the stuff that we were doing. Yeah. So but mm-hmm. it was a good aspect for uh somebody like Terry Date. Mm-hmm. Just because of his success with like Pantera and stuff. Yeah. You know? Know. Like Prong. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of heavy bands that he did too. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just do um, Mother Love Bone and Fishbone and mm-hmm. Soundgarden. I mean, he had a lot. That, that's one of the reasons why he was even on our list of people, it was because we dug but hit the stuff that he did. Yeah. The variety of stuff that he did, worked with. Also, one more thing. Yeah. Rich was never happy with the guitar sound that he had gotten on the first album because the guy had said, well, oh yeah, we're going to make that better later. And then it's like we run out of time. Mm -hmm. And so he never really quite got what he wanted. So by the time we got around to image damage, he was making damn sure and maybe even overcompensating a little bit that he was going to get we get fucking fat sound you know? <laughs> yeah and and he did <laughs>
0: We moved back to north carolina and things started
1: not working out with the label you guys still remained a band here for a little while right yeah and we probably recorded um, at least two albums maybe almost three albums worth mm-hmm. of stuff stuff that you Sent, just couldn't do. post you know yeah stuff could you do anything with that stuff or mm-hmm. were you still technically we were recording in and with jody derrick um we recorded a lot of the bands of that of that 90s in charlotte mm-hmm. yeah. in his basement and um we recorded we recorded a bunch of it mm-hmm. so i think that at some point image damage should come out mm-hmm. for whoever wants it even if it's just online yeah also all of those two albums worth of songs and there's also, when we very first got signed, we recorded about 20 demos, and a lot of it ended up on the first album, but we it's, it was recorded there to, to 24 track.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I think that we should put that out. I think that we should put out, I think we should just put it all out, really. And yeah. all of the songs that we recorded in Jody's basement after um, Image Damage. I think it should come out. It would be a lot of it would be a
0: lot of you know a lot of stuff. I'm I'm a huge proponent of of stuff not being hidden away. That that, that anything that's yeah. out there should be out there. Yeah, I mean, it, I
1: mean, and, and I'm not saying that some of the stuff could we probably could have done better or yeah. something like that. But people will just see what we did, warts and all. You know, that, that's, that's what that's, I
0: like about it, is like it might not be like especially some of the older stuff from punk rock bands, especially. A lot of times it's, it's going to sound pretty bad, but I just, I'm just i glad it's out there when pe- people do put it out there and make it
1: available. Well, it's like they can also just see what l- little um, paths we were, little, mm-hmm. you know, offshoot trails we were mining or whatever, you know, yeah, it's With, not a, like a vein that we started to mine and never quite finished or whatever, you know, it's, it's like...
0: Um, it's not like you'd be putting it out there to, to make a bunch of money off of it. You'd be putting it out there just to... So people can hear it and appreciate what you did.
1: Yeah. there are some weird archaeologist types. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's I mean, that's what this podcast like is. That, it's, so. it's, it's just like let's let's dig up the past and then let's put it out there because a lot of people have forgotten about some of this stuff. Now they haven't really forgotten about animal bag, but you know, there's some missing animal bag
1: stuff out that's not out there. Yeah. I think it's interesting also that at the end, like like our guitarist Rich was getting into some te- uh, techno stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, our drummer Boo started getting into a lot of the, the like the hippie fish mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And you know Luke, we're all branching out into other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can tell. You know, Tater is, was very different than Animal Back. Oh when. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, that to me, all of that is interesting to me. Yeah. Like just if everybody had had solo albums or whatever <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. kiss you know and then you're like oh that's how they how they each you know yeah, they each this bring this from, to the yeah, party yeah, exactly, somehow yeah. or something you know it's like hard to believe that all that equals this and then plus everybody's moving along and like i just wonder because rich got into all the techno stuff if we had stayed together like, would we and you know, and then with bands like, like Radiohead coming out mm-hmm. and stuff, would, <clears throat> what directions would we have gone? That's yeah. all I'm wondering, you know. Yeah.
0: Like any band, like, sometimes we talk about bands not really sounding the same when they ended as they did when they began. Every band kind of grows and progresses, and their sound incorporates new influences along the yeah. way. So, yeah, except for the Ramones
1: and ACDC, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, most <laughs> bands, most bands. <laughs> Even the Ramones, I've been. Uh, I, I got that. No, I got they that. did.
1: I mean, they did. Yeah, say, just, I got, I got I still... that.
0: The Sire Years box set recently that came out on Record Store Day, and uh, I've been listening to those records again. and You know, it's pretty interesting some of the stuff they did. And sometimes you're listening to a record and you're like, Wait a minute, didn't I just hear this song? <laughs> it's like, you know, not not on another album, but on the same album. I think I just heard this song. You just changed the lyrics. Um, but yeah. I, still I mean, love, I, still I love that. that I stuff. love. I
1: love that. So, I just, in some ways, like I envy a band that that has their own. I'm not saying that I we didn't have our own thing, but I'm just saying, like the Ramones, it's like people can hear it and they get it the first try. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to you know, and 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 this this little. Recipe that they have really it really works it's very unmistakable you know
0: it's almost like a uniform but it's a music sound like yeah it's uh yeah Yeah, unmistakable when you
1: hear it that's the Ramones that's good to be that you know I think that we're a little bit you know animal bag collectively and individually Mm -hmm. we were a little bit too scatterbrained to have ever been a Ramones or a Hell, even a Metallica. Yeah. you know yeah. we could We we probably we were a little bit. We were too all over the place, mm. and that's individually and as a group. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's what I, sort of the way I feel about the band I'm in now. Like,
0: you know, we we kind of have our sound, but we pull influence from everywhere. So this song might first song might sound like just a straightforward punk rock song, but this next song is going to sound like Black Sabbath mixed with CCR or something. Yeah, this you know we we just we just try to play what we want to play, and it just comes out like. This is Van Huskins, but we do some different stuff. <laughs> yeah, see, I know that
1: that name is so weird. I've seen that name, so I'll have to check it out. Is it just how it's spelled? Yeah, yeah, just how it spells two words. It's basically a
0: play on Van Halen because mm-hmm. the guitar player, my best friend Eric, and his brother is the drummer. And years and years and years ago, somebody said if they ever started a band together, they should call it Van Huskins. Because they're guitar player and drummer brothers, just and like those van are their Halen. last name. Yeah,
1: Huskins is the last name. Oh, just, okay. just Not Huskins. Van Huskins. So
0: they add the Van to it, and it's so like then van you can Halen. still
1: use that logo too. Yeah,
0: we we could, we we just don't. We've never. That's one thing <laughs> I've never really done. I, I've done a couple of graphics graf, uh, graphic design things where I've used some Van Halen um, imagery. Like I put David Lee Roth, and like I did a thing where I made us the Ramones, but David Lee Roth was Joey but I put like a bar over his eyes. Yeah. But I've never really done the Van the Van Halen logo with Van Huskins, just because I, I felt like that was
1: too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and, but a lot of people said, you should do well, that. Well, you could at least do a Van. Yeah. <laughs> so then yep. it would look like a... Oh, I love the, the, that too. Fu Manchu, you know, they have so many albums with like the, the, the van on, 70s yeah. Vans, yeah. you know, or whatever. Yep.
0: <laughs> so I think Luke said that Animal bags sort of started falling apart. With Rich, Rich sort of started working on another project, and yeah, he you know, was. You know, just kind of all sort of went. To, it wasn't like it was a big breakup or anything. It was just everybody just got into the
1: natural flow of life, and things started happening. Y'all you know, started doing different things. Kind of. I mean, I feel like it, it, none of none of us wanted to. Uh, I think Rich, with you know, and I'm not trying to blame him, but oh, he no. wanted he he was the one who was. He he got into some some drugs stuff, but also he he was getting into techno mm-hmm. from that side, and then also I think he was going back to school, mm-hmm. and um and I think that that his you know like it was something like his parents like wanted you know, mm-hmm. and um and I don't know how I mean I'm sure that, I mean that got derailed a little bit, and then Animal Bag almost got back together like around 2000 and then boo had an apartment that burned down and it kind of put us we had gotten together we were we were going to try to get back together Mm -hmm. and had even had met a couple of times you know tried to learn some songs at least to to do some gigs and we had only been not even broken up for like three years or something Mm -hmm. but we were trying to and then uh but I guess when when Boo passed away, that was kind of the end of that. Yeah. Now, who passed away first? Was it Boo, Boo in two thousand two? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's really funny. Not funny. It's not even funny. But for years after that, I was I was still like, um, we need to you know tell Rich like let's start another band. Let's mm-hmm. start another band. I got all these songs. And, uh, we finally did you know like a, a around 2008 uh, called M4 Messenger
3: give me a song soundscape for a backdrop give me a soapbox, something i can stand on we a blame!
1: Two albums. The first one was with Rich, but um, um, I'll look it up because I'll put some some music on this podcast. Yeah, if, it, if it's online somewhere. I think that I think you would like it. Interestingly, just near the the end of Animal Bag, um, I was writing a lot of songs, mm-hmm. and we were work we worked on some of them and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. But between 1995 and 2005, I probably wrote like 150 songs. Yeah, and um, somewhere around then, I, w- I was pushing Rich to, like to let's let's start another band, let's mm-hmm. start another band. <laughs> and he kept saying, "Yeah, let's do it," you know. But then nothing would ever happen. And finally, one he w- where he, he was living in a duplex, and the guy next door to him, his name was Matt. He had bands that rehearsed in his basement mm-hmm. and I was over there and Rich came over and I played about 30 songs and he was like man we need to start another band Yeah, <laughs> and so finally that's when we started M4 Yeah, interestingly at one point in the, the pre-LA me and Rich and this guy named Tim McDonald mm-hmm. lived in a house together as roommates, well, and Tim was a bass player, and me and him had never been in a band together because we were both bass yeah. players. <laughs> well, I ended up in M4 Messenger playing guitar, so so Tim was the bass player, yeah. and Tim and Rich had known each other since they were like kids, like pre, you know, like mm-hmm. they were like in elementary school or something. Yeah, and so that ended up being really cool. Me, it's me, Tim, and Rich. Mm-hmm and M4 Messenger that was and that was a good band and we you know he did two albums well one album and then Rich died and then we put out yeah we got some other stuff yeah um what's funny or I say funny what's interesting or odd is mm-hmm. we finished the album and and then Rich died like a month later mm. So, um, like he never got to see like the artwork or any like yeah, the yeah. the layout or, and um, and then it's like oh no, now we have an album and and, and we're getting to put out and you know our main our main guy mm-hmm. is gone you know yeah. or, I mean he um so um we um ended up releasing the cd anyway and we had all these different guitar players do do, uh, something we did you know we did a a cd release party yeah okay and all these different guitar players played on different songs yeah sort of as a tribute yeah and it was it turned out it was very successful what we did we and we did it at the visualite Mm -hmm. and we Brought a great crowd. We even had somebody that, that filmed it and everything, just incredible footage. But the sound didn't turn out. Oh, and it would have been just like the greatest movie. We had we did interviews about Rich, mm-hmm. all this really cool stuff to be like it would have been like this almost like this cool documentary or this concert. The concert. I mean the the fo- footage is just spectacular. Mm-hmm. But it, the sound wasn't wasn't good, and mm-hmm. I don't think that it was fixable. You yeah,
0: know? yeah. A lot of times, if you don't get a soundboard recording, or even if you well, do, it not a good, sound was a soundboard
1: recording, but it wasn't. I thought that we had. I guess I thought that that was going to be like something that we could like mix later yeah, it, or it, something. It depends on how
0: it's done. Because if it's just like run out of the soundboard right into a recorder, then you ever you're stuck with
1: how it was mixed live, right? And then whatever you ended up with on that recorder. But and uh, the thing with that is, like, the basically what was coming through was, was drums and keyboards and vocals because all the guitars were coming so loud off the off stage that he's they, mixing to that. Yeah. But what was actually going through the board wasn't. You always have to set it up separately, like, to record. Yeah, and we just, I I don't know what the, I don't know whose heads are going to roll. <laughs> <laughs> But (laughs) but that's how it, you know, that's that's how it is when when you're in Spinal Tap, you know.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: that's what I've learned just playing music. I mean, especially, I always like to say punk rock. And I know, like, the music that you've played over the years has not been punk rock. Mm -hmm. But it's still got that DIY. You know, we've all had that DIY part of it. Like, things are not always going to go right, you know. And that's why, like I was telling you earlier, I heavily edit my podcast, but I leave the some of the technical difficulties and stuff in and sometimes I'll leave some of the background stuff in like if all of a sudden we start talking to somebody that walks to the room because I I don't want it to seem like it's edited I want it to seem like it's like anything can happen but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it right (laughs) anything can go wrong but do it anyway if I was doing this for like I can't even think of like a relevant name anymore but like if I was doing this for Spin or Rolling Stone or something like that you know I might want to present it a little bit more professionally but even if I was, I, I would want to leave the warts in. I just like yeah. I like that. I like the warts about all of it. <laughs> I got you. So we, we can M4 Messenger. Did you leave out anything in between Animal Bag and M4 Messenger that you did? Because I know you kind of skipped of that. We wanted to talk. Well, well said, I mean,
1: I played in a band. Um, I was in a. I was in a couple of bands. I was in a band called Throws Like a Girl. Okay, which was with some. Um, Guys, it was basically a bunch of guys that were from the band Kudzu Ganja. Okay. and um, But with me on bass instead of Bo. Yeah. Th- um, also, I did, me and Bo did a bunch of stuff, just me and him recording. Okay. And um, me and Chris Mitchum, who was in Gentleman Death. Yeah. Def, yeah. Uh,
0: I'm good friends with with most of those guys. You do? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Chris and Bo and, and
1: uh, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, they're... The um, Negulators, now. well. <laughs> yeah, the Negulators. Um, there was a band that I was in with my girlfriend, and we we put out... Uh, well, we did a five-song thing. And, uh, well, we One of the names that we had was less than stellar. Oh, we called ourselves Pinkwood Flat. Okay. And it was because we we were saying we were trying to do something that was a cross between Pink Floyd and Fleetwood Mac. Okay. But we did a five-song thing we were going to call ourselves less than Stellar. Okay. Which, it sounds like, like oh, they suck. They're already telling <laughs> you by their name. But the way I was looking at it was like Stellar. The word Stellar comes from, from like the stars and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So we weren't quite there. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, I liked what we did, actually. It was And that was a cool band. And we were together for about three or four years Mm -hmm. on and off. This was right around 2000. Okay. It seems like most of the the early 2000s though, I spent, I I was writing a lot of songs and I was getting into home recording, Mm -hmm. which not very good home recording, but I had, I went through this phase started in the nineties where I was really into like guided by voices and pavement and, uh, I liked the idea of, of these lo-fi yeah, bands yeah. because it, in, in a way, because it's also because I like so much 60s stuff. Mm-hmm. Had, the technology was where you could almost record as good as what the Beatles had at your own home, in your own home. Yeah. yeah. So I really got into trying to do that. And even though I sucked at it, <laughs> and what was it that I called? Oh, imaginary imaginary friend. friend. Yeah. Well, I uh, ended up... Yeah, this was before I was really on the internet and I got somebody to look up and, and it was there was already like four or something different bands called Imaginary Friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really pissed me off. So then I, I had to come up with some kind of name for what me, my solo shit would be mm-hmm. since it couldn't be Imaginary Friend and I already worked on that cover and everything. So... Um, Uh, my solo name is Dear Druid you know around the time that um, I had a MySpace page Dear Druid had a MySpace but that was um, what I was calling me by myself I also had thrown around like instead of Imaginary Friend if I called the band If Mm -hmm. but that stood for Imaginary Friend then it turned out there was a band called If Already,
0: that's also one of those things that like. There's there's some bands that have names that are just hard to search for them online. Like the only one that comes to mind is one of my favorite North Carolina bands called Pipe. But how do you search for Pipe and not come up with a million different results that have nothing to do with a band? Yeah, in North that's Carolina? true. That's true. So I don't think. But you know, they were they were formed probably early days of the internet. So you don't really think about that. You just think about I want a cool name for what people around here can call here can call me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it has a little bit of a hindrance like so. There, there is a pipe album on Spotify, but you can't just search pipe to find it. I mean, you may, probably can. It just helps if you know the name of the album.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I, I told you, like, as it, between '95 and 2005, I probably wrote like 150 songs. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of those got. Uh, I say a lot. I shouldn't say that, but I, rec- I did re- end up recording some of those songs on the first M4 album. Yeah. And then with my uh, dear Druid. Thing, I ended up recording about almost three albums mm-hmm. worth of stuff, just on um, pretty lo-fi recordings. But that was the album cover of one of them. And then I did another one worth with Bo from Kajuganja Ganja mm-hmm. and Chris Mitchum. And they played on a little bit of it, but it was, it was all, all my songs. They were just mostly recording me. Yeah. But there was a couple of songs where they, you know, like Bo put some bass on it. Yeah. Or, um, and then th- it was after that that I started M4, and I and I had been messing around a lot with Bo and Chris Mitchum, mm-hmm. and we probably would have started something. But then when me Tim and Rich started M4, yeah. I, I pretty much dove pretty much into that. Yeah, know? yeah. So after the after when Rich died. In 2010 mm-hmm. and you know we did the tribute show and we'd had all those different guitar players well well, some of those we tr- we tried to get something going with yeah and um anyway we went through a few different guitar players and then we finally ended up with Kerry Wall who used to play in bands with Tim in the 80s and 90s okay I mean in a, in a lot of ways um, there's some stuff about him that's Reminds me of Rich. Like, mm. not not his personality or anything like that, but just I feel like there's so much. Um, like, even though Rich Rich had a lot of 70s in him, mm. and carry um, Wall's like the same age as Rich, same year, everything. Yeah. But has a lot, you know. They they just both are, have a lot of 70s in them, you know. Yeah. I guess that's the... He ended, up, and he's and Kerry Wall is like just uh, very tech savvy, and, and anyway, we he he did our whole album, our second album. He mm-hmm. he was basically recorded it, the whole album, and produced it. Okay. The other thing that changed, you know, the difference between the the very first M Four Messenger album, like the very first song on it was co-written by me and Rich, and then the second song on it was co-written by. Me and Tim and mm-hmm. Rich, the, the bass player. But then all the rest of the songs were, um, they were all songs that I had written in during that period when I wrote all those songs. Yeah. And then they, <laughs> everybody put their juju on it yeah, and everything. Yeah. But this second version of M4 Messenger was, was more where we, everybody brought kind of brought their own songs mm-hmm. and then everybody would put their juju on whoever's songs but it was it was a, a lot more split up yeah, yeah. still is, I, I like both albums and they're both they're both different and I guess my, my new band is different you know yeah now the other band I'm in is um, I've been in this band for like eight years mm-hmm. and they're called The Mystery Planned and it's this guy named Jason Herring and his wife, okay. Amy Herring. Yeah, yeah, but he's like a DJ, and then he does a look And he used to sing, just be a singer in like in the nineties, and maybe in the early two thousands. But he he sang mostly for like shoegaze bands, kind okay. of like The Verve, yeah, um, along those lines. So he still does DJ stuff, but he also writes and is a very indie kind of. Um, he plays keyboards and a little bit of guitar. Okay. But it, and, and not super technical or anything, but just enough to write a song. You yeah. Know? And I like this band. It's just a nice band. I, I In a weird way, and I've sold this to other people before, but it's like like compared to a, a just a... Uh, down and dirty sleazy rock bands I've been in this band is more rated G yeah yeah okay <laughs> there's two girls in the band you know uh, it's 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 just a more wholesome yeah kind of band to me <laughs> compared to the and I'm, you know I'm not trying to say like there's way more sleaze bucket bands than animal bag oh yeah for sure. we went through our <laughs> our so, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we weren't trying to be Motley Crue or anything. Yeah. <laughs> About uh, the mystery plan. Mystery plan. I was trying to remember the name. I don't even know how many albums they have out because because he comes from that DJ culture. Mm-hmm. He's he probably puts out like two or three CDs a year, and yeah. then a lot of them are like some songs that are recorded with the band, but then other songs he does remixes, and then and also has other people do remixes. Yeah. And then, so I mean, there's lots of um, lots of CDs. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and I'm not sure how much the microphone picked up over there. I, I could, It probably picked up enough that I can use it, but you said you're playing a, a lot of shows this summer opening up for the Velt out of yeah. Raleigh, North Carolina. I think it was yeah. Raleigh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, lo- yeah. locally around Charlotte and that area as well. Up in yeah, we
1: played We played in Charlotte about a couple weeks ago at the Milestone.
0: Yeah. I saw you've got one coming up at Petra's and one coming up at
1: uh, – where did I say the other one was Snug Harbor yeah and oh we're Co- at Snug
0: and that's all one listed up there for Common Market at the yeah the, the Common
1: Market is the next one and that's 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 just us not with the valve yeah okay And is that, uh, is
0: that the the Oakwald location
1: uh, yes yeah Yeah. I might come out and see we've that we've played there before it's pretty
0: cool yeah. um, my, my buddy Roger runs that place and oh so yeah there. I know Roger he's a great guy I love, I love Roger Yeah,
1: I've known Roger for like 20 years probably. he's one of the guys that helped help, help
0: Get me like when he met me and my friend Matt we were playing in our first punk rock band the Style and Johnny Appleseeds and he came to Kings Mountain to see us play because he dated a girl that we knew at the time and he just kind of took us under his wing and said oh you guys know about punk rock what do you know about this band oh, we don't know about that band well you need to check out this album and you know it was just like he was he was our, our mentor for like okay you guys have found punk rock now let me show you what the
1: rest of it's like <laughs> <laughs> we've played there a couple times I've also the other um common market mm-hmm. i've i've played there with the mystery plan but I, i've played there solo also okay the one over in plaza midwood mm-hmm. yeah we played there a few times and I I, also there used to be days. one on south boulevard or yeah. south Tryon. yeah right there in a uh, south end uh, uh i, think I played all- there we used to, i used to love that courtyard It was a great place to play yeah played there a bunch of times too not just with uh the mystery plan but I, for a long time I don't know if you knew this but from maybe like 2013 to about three years ago I was in this other band called um, Poor Blue okay and I did two albums with them and I played bass in that band through M4 Messenger and then I didn't start playing again until um, around 2013 okay and I, I, I played bass in my friend's band and um, what's the other thing that, which is I love bass and I forgot like oh I should play bass I can play actually <laughs> I'm, I'm actually okay on bass you know like I'm not a good guitar player is what I, what I'm getting at you yeah. know it's like it's like, I need to be in a band and play bass because at least I can, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty funny, I think. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I play this. I I need to be playing that. So I played in th- th- this um, guy. I love this band. It was called Poor Blue. And he's from Ireland. And um, he used to be in a band in, in Ireland mm-hmm. in the – Late seventies, early eighties, called the Mighty Shamrocks. Okay, and they were a a popular band, and um. Anyway, he ended up moving to the states, and he's lived in Ohio, and uh, I think he's lived in South Carolina. But anyway, he lives. He does. He still lives in South Carolina, as a matter of fact, but Fort Mill now. Yeah. Uh, and so, do you know Rob Tablione? I know the name. Uh, my he own. has a studio called yeah. Catalyst. Yeah. Which I recorded all the way back with um, Pinkwood Flat. Mm-hmm. Was what I first recorded with him. And he's recorded so many Charlotte bands. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it's think a he lot. he recorded uh,
0: Flight Risk as well.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. he did, actually. But... Um,
0: we were talking about Poor poor Blue. And yeah.
1: That. All right. So, I, I was... Had done some stuff, you know, Gideon Smith. Yeah, yeah. So Gideon. I I've also have played on some of his stuff. I played on his very first album. Okay. And um, was it Tavlioni that recorded us? I think so. Anyway, I've recorded with Tavlioni in many no, different projects, bands yeah. and stuff. And so this guy Mickey from Ireland approached Tavlioni and to record and was wondering if he knew any musicians so Tavlioni recommended me okay and so I was just at first I was just gonna play on a couple of his songs but me and him like hit it off and mm-hmm. then I ended up he you now he's one of my best friends and I've I've played recorded two albums with him yeah <laughs> and probably like you know you know 90 gigs or something yeah. <laughs> with it but uh after I had my um stroke, I played with them. I stayed playing with them because I could still play, even though my uh, right side is numb. Yeah, I can still play, and I would say that I'm I can play ninety percent of what I you you know I can still play mm-hmm. bass yeah. pretty good, like compared to my uh, my guitar playing, which was having the numb hand.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> really yeah. makes
1: makes it. It, not that it was that good before, <laughs> but it's a little not quite as good. <laughs> so
0: when you had your stroke, for any period of time after that, did you did, you, did it take a while before you could play again, or did, was it?
1: Um, I mean, I started playing again in a, a month or two after, okay. so I guess. it wasn't like a, that a little, Yeah, I mean, it was did, weird. It that you
0: up that, that a whole lot. You didn't have a big recovery time from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was trying to play. I, I couldn't play as good. Like in M4, we had just finished our album, and then I had my stroke, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to do some gigs when we put it out. It was like sort of getting ready to mix. I finished it right after I had the stroke. We had, um, I don't think we'd started mixing it yet, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, it came after it came out. I mean, when we did our our cd release whatever Mm -hmm. like i it was post stroke yeah yeah. so like we did that at the evening muse and um i mean it turned out all right and i you know i played guitar not great but and you know i still play guitar and i'm it's not great (laughs) (laughs) but it's a good enough it's good enough for a punk rock band though Yeah. yeah
0: And we also mentioned when I first showed up here, because I got the name wrong, but Scott you were you were also in that band. We're gonna play one, play
1: one, I actually didn't write it, didn't write it. It was channeled to me. Channeled to me by Satan. By Satan. I'm just kidding. It's called Creature Comforts.
3: I am not know. I when
1: sky Lothra started around 2014 or 15, there was a point right before before I had my stroke, and I was in um, four bands, and I um, had another project with Jamie Hoover. Mm-hmm. Which, as a matter of fact, do you have a, do you have vinyl? Do you listen to? Vinyl? Yeah, yeah, oh
0: yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> I, I love I love the sound of that. <laughs> We all listen to this as soon as I get home. Yeah, I, I, I'm huge. I, I actually do pop ups now where I sell records. Um, so I'm a collector and a seller now. So I've got probably 6,000 records. Oh, like, wow. Between my personal collection and my inventory, which my inventory is my collection, too. I mean,. But you're,
1: like, willing to get rid of anything for a price. Well,
0: I was going to say, my my inventory is my collection, too, but a lot of my inventory was bought specifically to be inventory. But the cool thing is, is until it sells, I can listen to any of it I want to. (laughs) And a lot of it I bought from Luke. Like, he sold me his old store inventory,
1: like, right at the beginning of the year. That's cool. I wish I had. um, It's so funny because the um, 80s, like, I held out on CDs. And I didn't start buying CDs until like 1988 or mm-hmm. something. And um, I had I had all these albums, and I, uh, and then I got into CDs, and now they're fucking obsolete. Fucking, well, they're they're, they're not of, obsolete. But, yeah, I'm you gonna know say like they're it. actually like it's
0: collectability. They're they're coming back around. Um, everything kind of is because I think people are getting tired of looking at their phones and getting everything from their phones. So things are kind of coming. Now I, I say that, but it's not like they don't sell like crazy. But my pop ups they sell pretty well, and there are a lot of bands that a lot of bands kind of moved away from doing CDs because they're like people don't buy CDs anymore, and they don't buy a lot of them. But people are starting to again. So it's everything kind of. Comes I, th- back I think around.
1: having the having the physical object is very crucial, mm-hmm. and a, an album is number one. But because this, at least the artwork on an album it can be seen. Yeah. It's big and you can yeah. easily see
0: everything. And, but, and, and vinyl will always have that more of a collectability factor than anything else. Just because it's, it's cooler for whatever reason has been deemed
1: cooler. I mean, I know why it is. They are cool. <laughs> but um, the last thing I wanted to say is, is I hate that my latest band doesn't have a name yet, but for at least for the purposes of this interview, um, it's me and this girl named Lori Mm -hmm. so one of the names we were going to thinking of calling it was Lotus Operandi which is sort of like Modus Operandi but but it's Lori and Otis but we're going to spell it L-O-T-U-S Lotus which is you know a flower that actually you can get high off of and uh, the only reason that we're probably not going to call the group that which we may but I, I feel like that people might mispronounce it or something. Yeah. Because operandi is spelled with an I at the end, mm-hmm. you know. And they might Lotus Operandi or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, people might not get it. Like, it's a play on Modus Operandi. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, I, and, and after being in a band called Animal Bag, where you had to explain the name. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like that. I don't want to have to explain the name. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I ask that question sometimes on the podcast. Like, where does that name come
0: from? Um, and most people just go, well, it was something we came up with is kind of dumb. So,
1: Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, we weren't try, trying to be dumb, but the the original thought process on Animal Bag was and when we were kicking around names. And my thought was, I want to have a, a name like Spinal Tap. Yeah. <laughs> and and a and reason was because i I looked at what we were doing kind of like spinal tap you know mm-hmm. we're taking you know we're 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 making fun of something but we're sort of honoring it too mm-hmm. you know yeah and um and then somebody overheard um us oh it was boo overheard it. me and John Kiker were talking about enema bags and he had, was it from the other room and he heard us and he thought we said animal bag yeah and that's where it, where it came from and so we thought that that was kind of funny yeah let's do that you know and if to me it's, it seemed like animal bag it seemed kind of spinal Tap tapish yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh but then it you know we could have changed our name when we moved to la which would have been a good time to do it mm. but I feel, I feel like we were already getting traction or something, you know. Yeah. And,
0: and, and as far as band names go, it's not a bad name. I, I don't yeah. think. I guess it, I guess A, a lot not. of people will say their band name. They'll go, that's the stupidest thing ever. I'm like, that's not a bad name, really. That's yeah, not.
1: I know. But, the, <laughs> but the, what I'm getting at was the explaining. Of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's, the explaining, of, it's not yeah. that great. You know, I guess you don't ever have to explain yourself. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's our band name. Take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I do have a, a little bit of a, some kind of something about it because I don't want to have to explain it. Yeah, you
0: know. So any uh, any ideas of when that band might
1: Lotus us operandi? Yeah, well, we'll probably play at Tommy's in the next few months. We haven't booked the gig yet. Yeah. But the other thing is is um um we're start sort of just started recording, mm-hmm. and I would love to like finish some recording before we. We do it, I don't know if it's been going kind of slow because our guy that um, our guitarist is has four kids. Mm-hmm. And so he misses a lot of rehearsal. But the other four of us rehearse a lot. Yeah. Which one of the other four is Jody, you know, who had the recording studio mm-hmm. um, in the 90s that everybody recorded at. Okay, yeah. The basement, I guess, is what he called yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that name.
1: Yeah, um, and he recorded everybody Kudzu, Ganja, it could be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, name some more bands from back then because <laughs> he recorded a lot of bands. Yeah, yeah, um, and we used to actually rehearse there. We had we ended up because he started doing such a good recording business that we had to like move to rehearse a lot <laughs> uptown Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I ended yeah. up meeting all these other bands that I'm still friends. With. I'm still friends with a bunch of those I mean Bo and, and uh, Chris Mitchell. That's yeah, where yeah. I met, you know, that's our, where our I head, met yeah, them him. was at Rehearsal lot. Yeah.
0: So. Right. They talked about that. I had them on the podcast. My very first episode, my very first interview episode was Negulator, so they talked about oh, Rehearsal okay. Lock on there a lot. So But I, I totally missed even though I was playing around that since the time that existed just it wasn't it was a different scene than what we were so it's what we funny
1: with, with well I, I say it's f- with the negulators I'm real I mean I'm really um, me and Bo and Chris me and Chris Mitchum together and separately have done a lot of recording yeah but also I was in a band with um, with Jeff you
2: mm-hmm. know
1: throws like a girl yeah <laughs> and um, which was basically everybody that was Kudzu Ganja minus Bo yeah <laughs> and uh, but I remember like because we had a we recorded too, um, not like studio recording, but we had a, a, a pretty decent like six songs or something demo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I, I would love to hear that. I don't know where, where it is or yeah. if anybody still has it or not, but maybe somebody does. One thing I want to do, uh, especially when
0: I find some more times, I want to offer a service of like. Digitizing old cassette tapes that people might have. I mean, there's other people that do it, I'm sure, but it's something that I can do pretty easily with this thing and a computer. Mm-hmm. And then, I, then I clean stuff up. I can clean it up a little bit. I can't really do much with like mixing it any better, but I can clean it up, make it louder sometimes. Do a, I call it mastering, but it's not really much of a master. I know, but I'm
1: <laughs> saying you can like find a. a, a Something on the EQ that might need a little bit of boot. Yeah, yeah. Like can, slightly can, re-EQ. It. Yeah, and especially I got, if I work
0: with somebody else. I got you. But, but, well, uh, damn, I mean,
1: we should do that.
0: Then. Yeah. One of these days when maybe I can bring my stuff over, we can just set it set up and, and digitize some old stuff that you might have because it sounds like you've got some record uh, cassettes. Yeah, well,
1: uh, how much longer are we going to go? Here? Uh, I'm I'm about
0: ready to wrap up. One, one thing I did want to ask you was uh, what kind of – with Skynostros, we just getting. You said that band hasn't really played in a while, but you didn't really. You haven't oh really yeah, and we never. The
1: other thing about I felt got to tell you, me and Skynostros, we recorded at Tavlionis, and mm-hmm. we've got um, six songs recorded so far. Yeah, we hadn't mastered them yet, but we had five more that we were wanting to mm-hmm. finish. Um, and so we're talk. We are talking about finishing it. And our drummer, who who moved to Texas, of course, we could continue as a band with another drummer. Mm-hmm. But our, our drummer that moved to Texas worked for he retired after working for the airlines, mm-hmm. so he can fly back any time. Okay, yeah, to to finish the recording. And I'm sure he's still... He's got, like, five drum kits. One of them is in my garage now. Okay. So when he does come to Charlotte, <laughs> yeah. he's got a drum kit yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... And I would like to finish this guy, Nostris, album. Mm-hmm. Was uh, was Alex Mayhew in that
0: band, too? Yes, he was. Yeah, I thought
1: so. He... Uh, I mean, in my opinion, he still is. Uh, I no, mean, still is, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I said, really, like like you said it. Like, I don't want I don't know what I want, you know. Because me and... Uh, uh, we talk about you know. I went out the other night. Actually, um, Scott and um, and Jim, okay, the bass player is the bass player in Sky Yeah, they came to my mystery plane gig the other night. Okay, and then we were talking about you know the Sky thing. And then plus I go see we, the mystery plan has been recording with Tavlioni, so I get to talk to him all the time. Yeah, and he's like, well, when are we going to finish that mystery plan? You know. Yeah. And our drummer can fly here to, if we, you know, he can fly here to rehearse, he can fly here for the gig, because he can fly for free for yeah the rest of his life, you know. You want a beer?
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, I
1: don't don't feel like I'm
0: forcing <laughs> it. No, I don't, uh, no, will definitely what take you a beer. If you
1: had to drive all the way back to Shelby or something.
0: Well, I gotta go to King's Mountain, but one is not gonna stop, stop okay. me from driving.
1: Well, you can come here and take a beer. That And the other
2: reason I wanted to...
0: One thing I, and I actually I left this recording but and this would be a good thing to put, like I always kinda of put something at the end. Like I sprinkle my podcast with music. I try to play as many bands as I can find that we mention, you know, at least briefly, and then I always play like a full song at the end. But I usually like one of the more known things or something you're doing currently. Uh, but then I always kinda of like put a little bit more talking at the end. But sort of talking about that, maybe coming back over here is like hopefully sometime this summer, um, uh, when You got you and Luke are going to be playing a show in at, at Shelby at the Dragonfly. I think it's called Dragonfly Wine Market. I think sometime in September or October. No, it's in November. November. Okay. It's, I knew it was a while away. Yeah, we so, haven't
1: rehearsed for it yet.
0: <laughs> so sometime when you guys do start getting ready for that show, um, I want to get you and Luke together so we can pay a little bit more tribute to rich and boo but also yeah. just so you can talk about reminisce about some stories and i feel like my job on that was going to be hit record let you guys talk <laughs> yeah. but uh so I'll, I'll come back over for that but kind of talking says, about that though we're, we're
1: going to talk about women that we've shared
2: <laughs> so
0: that'll I'm be like a, it'll be like an acoustic show <laughs> i think you, you and luke playing old animal bag songs or will it be acoustic or what what What? how will that be Oh, the show and
1: yeah. uh dragonfly yeah it'll it'll probably it'll probably be acoustic. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, we haven't talked about how we're going to do it, but we've done it before where his friend that was in his um the guy who plays banjo and I didn't, I didn't Yeah, know, I can't remember his name, but I know who you're talking yeah. about. Um we I don't know if we're, if it's just going to be me and him. What what I heard from Stick Elliot was that he was hoping for it to be sort of like a VH1 Storytellers, mm-hmm. where we play some songs and then we talk a little bit about how that song came to be or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, who wrote it or, you know. And of course, it would be like filled with little asides about Rich and Boo somehow. Yeah, know.
0: yeah. Um, and I think
1: that that's what he's talking
0: about. Yeah. So. And you guys also played the the Tremont, like their, their anniversary show or something a while back.
1: Oh, we've done a couple of – after Rich died, yeah, me yeah. and Luke have done. I feel like we've done maybe three different times where we've gotten together.
0: Was that always like a, an acoustic thing as well, or or did you have a no? What well,
1: one time was um, Tater or Tater Family Traveling Circus and my band M Four Messenger mm-hmm. did a gig together. So me and B- Luke did an animal back set in between. Okay, and we used members of the other bands yeah yeah. which was pretty cool i feel like some of that was recorded somehow
0: i think there's some uh i think there's some online like on youtube well i don't know of that show if if there's some there's some video of you guys playing at tremont i'll have to go look it up
1: yeah that's at tremont but there was another one that we did in no doc that was when both bands played i can't even remember the name of that place it wasn't the Evening Muse. It was this place that was kind of behind the Evening Muse, and this. They had, it was a cool band place too. Mm-hmm. I've seen some cool stuff there before too. Anyway, that was a cool gig. Yeah, that, where, where, where both bands played.
0: Was it the Chop Shop? Yes, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. And I, I, all of a sudden, it came to me that that was another. I'm place glad that place. you
1: remembered yeah. that because I couldn't remember that. I only went out there well, a couple times. When I gig at the Chop Shop, I feel like there's something. Um, from that, that was um, like a videoed.
0: Yeah, I'll look. I'll look online and see what I can find. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of ask that question about the the dragonfly thing. And do you know remember what the date is on that? Well, we can
1: look it up real quick. Yeah, I'm not sure what. I'm not sure how to look it up either.
0: I think I'm I've, a little tech challenged. I, I th- so let me let me look real quick. because I think uh, there's a. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Friday, November eighteenth. Luke Edwards and Otis Hughes of Animal Bag.
1: Yep, I was always wanted to call when me and him were together to call it Half Bag.
0: Daryl Tinsley is that that guy's name? Or I
1: don't know. May, maybe, maybe he's just playing. He just, he he, say he was he special, add, he, I yes, think he Daryl recently Tinsley. added somebody that's opening for it. Yeah, I think that's what that means right here. Which I would have rather have had one of Minor Luke band open <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or. or, or us open for them. Well,
0: I was gonna say, Luke's doing the, the motorhead thing now, so I don't know how whether yeah. i will go over it. dragonfly. Well, he's <laughs> got especially that if it brings the full. Too, um, yeah, Dangerous Ways. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I went and saw Dangerous Ways at the place in know more
0: Stooges. Stooges, yeah. This has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt Media Production.
1: I'm a lifer. So, I'll be doing it forever.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's the way I feel. I just, I hate I took so many years off from it, but I think it really made me appreciate it more. And if I'd have kept doing it all that that whole time, I don't even know if I'd be doing this now. I think coming back into it after taking so many years off and then realizing that I'd missed out on so much stuff made me just kind of appreciate everything about it so much more and want to tell these stories.
1: Yeah, I kind of, you know, was always going to be in a band because, I, well, the other thing is that I have so many fucking songs and I don't want to, I don't know, I like to, I just like to, that's what I like to do. Yeah. My thing, I'm more, actually more into recording than gigging.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, for me, I, I like it all. Um, I love, I love just jamming and practice, but I really enjoy playing a show especially when we were on. The last show we played was, ended up being a lot of,